Lose the Cape Podcast, episode 180. Hey, hey, mamas, welcome back to another episode of the Lose the Cape podcast and non-mamas who are joining us because they just love what we talk about as we cover uh, all kinds of topics that are of interest to women, to mothers, to caregivers in general, to people who support uh, all of these types of topics as well. Today is October 16th, but yesterday we had a very special roundtable that we went live on our Lose the Cape Facebook page, and um, today's episode is the recording of that event. October 15th, for those of you who do not know, is um, the annual Day of Remembrance, uh, International Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Day. So it's a really big day for any of those who have lost pregnancies to miscarriage or stillbirth or infant loss for us to talk about our grief and our pain and uh, share our stories and really bring awareness to this topic. I saw an article yesterday that showed in the United States, we still lose so many infants um, in this country. There are 68 other countries that outrank us in fewer numbers of babies that die in their first year of life, which is really astonishing and pretty shameful. So this is something we need to continue talking about, not only from a health and wellness standpoint, but from a mental health standpoint. There are so many women who feel completely stifled because our society is so ill-equipped to deal with people who are grieving and to deal with the loss. And Um, that's why we wanted to talk about it. But a trigger, obviously, by this point in time, it's probably too late for a trigger warning. Um, We are talking about a very sensitive topic. And within that topic, there are other very sensitive topics. So if this is something that you might become upset by, I would ask you to not listen to this one um, until you're ready to listen to it, if ever. It's not just for mothers, though, who have suffered the loss already. It's also for those who have never walked this walk, maybe even more importantly for the people who have never walked this walk, so that you can get some insight into what it is like for the five of us who shared our stories. um, And four of the five of us are authors who have written books about losses and, um, and different aspects of it. One is a children's book. One is a book to help people who are not the grieving family, but people who want to help the grieving family. One is specifically for grieving mothers. One is um, a memoir about how the loss of her son triggered uh, previous traumatic events in her life that she had to go back and then deal with. So a wide variety of topics um, that were covered in this, but I thought it was an incredible interview, and I hope you'll take the time to listen. And you can get all the show notes at losethecape.com forward slash podcast forward slash 180. And those will include the links to the books and more information on the authors and all of that information as well. We also invite you to come like our page and we'll include a link in the show notes to the actual Facebook post of the live um, video presentation yesterday if you want to go back and watch the video. But more importantly, if you would like to be entered to win a bundle of all of these books in print. You have to go over, like the page, like the post, and make a comment. And I am very happy to choose one of you to send these books to, whether they are for you or for someone else in your life who may need them. So 
Thank you. This is a really important topic to me. For those of you who are new to the podcast, you may not know, this is Alexa, by the way, uh, you may not know that I lost an infant daughter and that pretty much everything that I have done since then is because of the impact that that had on me. So this is a really important topic to me. It's one that I blog about frequently on my own blog, the grief that surrounds it, the shame, the all the things, all the feelings, the feel, the perception that no one wants to hear my story or put up with me as I talk about it anymore. All of these things, um, how to help people going through it, how to talk to them, what not to say, what to say, all these types of things. So again, we hope you'll come over, like our page, uh, follow us on Stitcher and iTunes, leave us a, a review so that other people can, if you like us, please don't leave bad reviews. Those don't help. <laughs> um, uh, but if you, if you can help us spread the word, about our podcast so that we can continue to have uh, the impact that we're trying to have, which is to, sp- to spread awareness about important topics that we really need to be talking about as women and as mothers and as people who want to do good in the world. So thank you. And I really hope you enjoy this interview and I hope you'll share it with someone else who may need it as well. Have a fantastic day. Enjoy the show. Welcome everybody who can join us today. If you're here for the replay, that's awesome too. We will be giving away some stuff. So if you come back for the replay, don't worry. You don't have to have been here live during this initial, um, I don't know what that is. This is <laughs> sorry. This, so does anyone else hear beeping or is that just me? <laughs> This our initial interview session. You don't have to be here live to to get a hold of that. So bear with us as I explained to our panelists today. Every time we go live, there is always some sort of shenanigans that happen. So we're just going with the flow. Okay. So to all of our normal listeners and viewers, thank you. Welcome so much uh, for being here with us today. As a as an audience of moms, I'm pretty sure most of you are familiar with. October 15th, but just in case you are new to our community, new to new to grief and loss of a child or baby, October 15th is International Awareness Day for Pregnancy and Infant Loss. The month of October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, often overshadowed by Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which obviously is another huge issue for women, and that's okay, but we want to make sure that we really spent some time covering this issue For several reasons. One, I lost an infant, so this is obviously a topic of interest to me, but one in four women will lose a pregnancy or multiple pregnancies or an infant. So this is a topic that impacts so many of us. And unfortunately, society has made it very difficult for us to feel like there is a place for us to share our emotions and our grief and our struggles. Um, society has also made it very difficult for people to even know how and what to do in response to that. So we thought it would be a great idea to bring together a group of women. And the reason these women were chosen is because they have all either written books or are very active and engaged in um, some element of of the situation surrounding their circumstances with re- with relation to loss of an infant or pregnancy. So That being said, that's a good enough introduction, I think, onto what we are doing. So I want to introduce you to everybody. We have Sarah O'Dell, and I'm going to let each each panelist give their own little rundown on who they are and what and what they're doing. So Sarah, hi. Hi, hi. Thanks for having this uh, discussion, Alexa. Um, so 
I'm here because I lost my second child, Harry, uh, in 2015. Um, I went in for a 20-week ultrasound. It was actually more like 21 weeks because second child. Um, and when I went in, they brought me into a, a, they rushed me to the hospital and took me in to see a high risk pregnancy doctor um, and said, you know, we have some bad news for you. You, you have no fluid. Um, through, I was hospitalized and through the process, we found out that the diagnosis that we had was that his lungs had never developed. So basically he would have no um, ability to live outside the womb and they weren't sure when he would die basically so we were told that our options were to wait um and give birth or um although i was at that point almost 22 weeks pregnant um i could go ahead and terminate the pregnancy um so because of the risks to me and my health and the uh feeling that it might be unimaginably an unimaginably painful death to him we decided that uh, the termination was the better choice for our family um, to give him the best end-of-life care that we could so we did that around 22 weeks um, it's <laughs> anybody who's had to make that choice can tell you it's incredibly complicated mm -hmm. it's medically exhausting it is a terrible choice to have to make and the laws that our country has make it very hard to do, even if you're in a state as I was at the time in New Jersey, um, where you can obtain a termination at that stage. Right. So that was in 2015. Um, I have gone on to have a second child, my daughter Jane, um, and that is how I came to be active around pregnancy and infant loss. I had an early miscarriage, uh, before I had my son. And I think it, it really uh, made me aware of how little information there is for parents and how little we know about it until we're actually pregnant and going through the process. Yeah, so glad to be here with y'all. You know, I didn't intend to, but I definitely tackled one of the most uh, <laughs> in-depth, What like there's a lot to be said around this topic. And I know you and I have had conversations about the judgment. So not only are you facing the loss of your precious baby, but now you've got people who are judging you for making your decision. And I just want to say right now and here, if you have something to say about that, you can go away because... <laughs> not a place for judgment. This is a place for her to share her experience and for us as mothers to, um, to support her in what must have been the most difficult decision you've ever had to make in your entire life. So thank you for being so open and honest and sharing about it and, um, and for being here with us today to talk about it. All right, Natasha, how are you? Thank you for being Hi. here. I'm good, I'm well. Thank you for having me. So I am Natasha Kahlo. I live and work in Trinidad and Tobago. So for us, our introduction to this world of grief and loss and pregnancy and infant loss awareness started just around 2014. So we were newly married, pregnant with twins, ecstatic, shouting it to the world. And just like Sarah, we went in hoping to find out the sex of our babies. And we were hit with the news that our babies had passed sometime 
between our last visit and now. So you can only imagine what that, you know, what that felt like. So after the loss of our twins, we got pregnant again. And again, we were happy, but cautious, extremely cautious this time around. And we had another miscarriage. We lost another child. And soon after that, we became pregnant again. Um, this time, my daughter did. She was born, followed very closely by my son. So I now have two rainbow babies who are featured in my very first book. So, you know, we're obviously very grateful for them and stuff like that. But I never, I would, I don't want to say I never moved on. Hi. There it is. I know that book. <laughs> there it is. Right? So I don't want to say that I never moved on from the loss of them, but I was never, I never divorced myself from the work that needed to be done around pregnancy and infant loss awareness because God, we, we went through that experience and, you know, thank God we had the support and I had my husband, but there are a lot of women and families who go through that experience without the support. So that was my introduction to this community that we have. And I just showed the cover, but if you want to um, tell us, everybody, the name of your book, and I'm going to um, post a link. So my book is Happy Tears and Rainbow Babies. Um, it was written to kind of discuss this very confusing world that pregnancy after loss and being a mother to children who are here, children who are no longer here with us. It kind of, I kind of wanted to give voice to that experience, that way that we can be extremely happy even while crying tears. So, and I wanted to have the opportunity to speak to my children, to teach them about our family and what our family looks like and why we are so grateful for each other. So that's right. That's my book and that's my story. It's a beautiful book and uh, I love it. I never had the opportunity to have a rainbow baby, but I can imagine the, um, the anxiety around having lost and then carrying another baby and hoping that everything is going to be okay. So wonderful book. For those of you who have joined us since we started, we are discussing um, Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Day. We're talking to women who have suffered through the loss of a pregnancy or infant and are, are taking their pain and doing wonderful things in the world by, by helping others through this, through a variety of different ways. So we are now going to speak with Kimberly Calabresi, who has written a book as well, and I'll let her share her story and then we'll talk about her book too. Hello, can you hear me? I can. Loud oh, good. Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah. My name is Kimberly Calabrese and I live in Connecticut. Um, a quick rundown. I lost my six month old daughter in 2003 and my job all on the same day. And mind you, I'd been a nanny for 20 years. So for me, that was like losing three children. Um, I then suffered a divorce shortly after that. And with my new marriage with, uh, in 12 months, I suffered three miscarriages. And then my son, who's now 13, was actually born not alive and not expected to live. So I went through quite a bit. Um, I made a decision, though, which I wouldn't advise anyone to do, 
in 2003 because I was not getting support that was needed. Uh, you know, my friends and family did the best they could to support me, but no one quite knew what to do. So I had finally given myself a choice to either commit suicide to be with my daughter or to move to another state and pretend this never happened. And I would never tell anybody that I lost my child so that maybe I could make friends again and be accepted. So I chose to leave, which mind you, I had been in Michigan for 33 years of my life. So it was yeah. not an easy decision to just pack up and leave and leave everything I once knew. Um, so it was in about 2016, after I had my two wonderful, healthy sons, um, I became severely depressed, couldn't figure out why, and did some uh, coaching and finally realized that I just kept putting one foot in front of the other, trying to design a better life, hoping none of this would ever catch up to me. So that's what prompted me to write the book. And for the very first time, I actually joined groups of parents that had lost children because I had never belonged to any of those because I ran from it for 13 years. Um, and so I started to take a big interest in interviewing them to see if they went through what I went through. And I found out that most of them had, and some even worse, some had completely lost their friends and family over them asking us what we need. The problem is we don't know what we need. So um, that's why I decided to write What Do I Do, which is actually the, the reason the book is different is this book is not for the grieving parents. This book is a step-by-step -step guide on how friends, family, coworkers, doctors, teachers, hairdressers support us after the loss of a child. I truly feel that one of our biggest fears after we lose a child is going back into society. You know, what are people going to say to us? Are we going to be accepted? Are we going to see people with other children that make us think of ours? So I truly, my mission is out there right now is to, you know, kind of get that straight so that we don't become victims in society. People already know in advance what to do and how to support us when we return back into society. Yeah, it's, it's such an important resource because even on my blog, the, the question that I get asked the most is how can I help? What can I do? What do I say? What do I not say? And this really is, I mean, it's so nice to have this resource available to just be like, actually, here you go. Here's your handbook. <laughs> Here's exactly what you can do and not do and all those things. Um, and especially, I think it's a, you include a chapter from the father's perspective, which is really important. We hear that a lot. Don't forget about the dads. Don't forget about the dads. And the dads do grieve. They often grieve very differently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the great resource. And I'm sorry, I keep trying to make your name have this Italian uh, swing to it. <laughs> Kimberly Calabrese. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. It's supposed to be Calabrese, but no one says it right. It's okay. <laughs> Trust me, I feel your pain. <laughs> All right. And last but certainly not least today, we have, let me unmute her. We have Lindsay Gibson, who is also an author and um, had a very traumatic story that I will allow her to share with all of you. Thank you for joining us, Lindsay. Hi, so sorry I couldn't join by my computer. I had the time to mix up in my head. So <laughs> I am sitting outside of my daughter's preschool. I hope everybody can hear me okay. Yeah, sound is great. Okay, good. All right, so I am Lindsay Gibson and I too live in Connecticut. And I lost my second child, my son Joseph, at 26 weeks. And 
just that morning, I, I felt him kicking and I was waiting on the nurse to show up. Now, the nurse was coming to my home because I had home care due to severe hyperemesis gravidarum. And for those who don't know, it is a uh, pregnancy condition that causes extreme nausea and or vomiting, and it could uh, last the entire pregnancy and beyond for some, for some women. And with him, I was suffering it so badly that I had a pick line, home care, and they were just about going to put me in uh, care in the hospital with a feeding tube. So if, if the pregnancy had continued, that's where I was headed. Uh, and so I was waiting on the nurse that morning and I had felt him kick and I fell asleep and took a nap. And then when I woke up, I woke up sweating. Uh, I woke up sort of like, you know, a jolt and I knew, I knew something was wrong. I knew right away. I just didn't know exactly what. And I called the midwife or I called my doctor and they told me to do all the things, you know, drink some orange juice, which wasn't, po wasn't possible for me because I couldn't consume any fluids whatsoever. So, you know, I tried to poke, I tried to move and, you know, I just said something's wrong, something's wrong. And luckily for me, cause this, I hear so many lost moms who share this moment where they think something's wrong and they're not being heard. They're not being heard by their medical professionals. But for me, the nurse on the line said, come right in. And so when we went in is when, when it was confirmed that he no longer had a heartbeat. And so we went straight in to birth him. And uh, for me, my story is very unique. It's very different. It, it, it's called Just Be How My Stillborn Son Taught Me to Surrender. But it also includes a, an extremely traumatic event that happened to me at 16 that I suffered over 13 years of post-traumatic stress disorder with. And at 16, I was attacked by a stranger and violently beaten up and raped. But I put that, I put that experience, like I tucked it away. I put myself into self-protection mode. I, uh, I completely forgot a lot of that night and what happened. And I continued for, like I said, over 13 years suffering with PTSD. When I lost Joe, all of the memories of that night just came flooding to me. And unfortunately, they came flooding to me while I was trying to birth him. And I was so confused on what was happening. Why was this happening in the middle of his birth? This was not the time for me to start remembering that night. It was so terrifying. It was almost like my my brain was getting put back together because I was seeing what was happening in front of me, but also remembering that night. And it sort of, it sort of woke me, you know, in a way. And my memoir goes on to explain not only losing Joe and not only how that felt and, you know, and I give the story of my husband and I, and I, and I give many perspectives and throughout the memoir, but also what it was like for me to recover from PTSD and also part three when I went on to have my rainbow daughter Layla who's now four and what that was like and how it didn't feel very rainbow to me it was very black and white uh, it was very motionless in a way it was it was it's terrifying to go on and and you know have a rainbow pregnancy my husband and I have lost uh, a handful of you know other other babies and early miscarriages including my third daughter's uh, twin 
who we lost uh, that twin right away around six weeks when I got pregnant with my, my second rainbow daughter, Luna, who is now one. So, so my memoir kind of has a lot of twists and turns and, you know, it takes the reader through a, 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 my journey and, you know, how I learned to surrender and let go and, uh, and heal, just heal. You know, we don't move on, we move forward and how I'm moving forward every day. Thank you, Lindsay. I mean, your story is definitely very different from the others, but I think all of us can relate to not maybe the same situation, obviously, that you went through, but how um, how a trauma can bring back, not it's not only the event of the trauma in that moment, but everything that's ever happened to us before that hasn't been dealt with. And um, your story is absolutely beautiful. And I'm, yeah proud to, to have a part in, in it, um, in the publishing of it, I should say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you. you've had, you, you've had quite the, um, the roller coaster with just the illness, <laughs> just like barely yeah. living through your pregnancies to begin with and all of that. Yeah. So, Ooh, she's got yeah. a lot yeah. to share with people. If you're not following her already, and this sounds like a topic of interest, and I put all, I'm linking all the books and all of the pages of everybody so that you can follow them. But I think what's really interesting about this panel is that all of us have suffered different types of losses. But I would say that the one thing, and, and you can you can say that this is true or not or not true, but the one thing that I think all of us have probably shared is that lack of um, feeling like we could really, really openly share with the people around us what was going on. And, and I know for, I never introduced my book, but after we lost our daughter, Catherine, when she was two days old, um, I took to blogging because I felt so stifled by um, not necessarily anyone telling me that I couldn't talk to them, but verbal cues are so are so obvious. And mm -hmm. the fact that some people never even, I, I mean, physical, you know, you know what I'm talking, uh, cues of people, the way they just talk to you. It, it's not the words they say, but their body language is the word I'm looking for. Um, and the fact that I had people that never even reached out to me, like people that I thought I was close friends with that never even acknowledged the fact that my daughter died was horrendous. So I started blogging largely um, kind of from the perspective of Kim's of like l largely to other people saying, you know, this, this, these are the things you should, you can say, but these are the things you shouldn't say. And this is kind of taking all my thoughts and emotions about how I wish people had been there. Um, I also blogged a lot about, about the grieving process itself to educate other people on what I was going through and the things that I wanted to say, but didn't feel like I could say to the world. And then eventually I got together with a whole group of parents and we put together Sunshine After the Storm, A Survival Guide for the Grieving Mother, which kind of ha goes through the different phases um, and situations because all losses, as we just heard, are different and we, we handle them differently. Society handles them differently. For me, I know that I felt a tremendous sense of relief that she was actually born alive and was there for two days because I felt like, one for me as a griever, it was so, so much more helpful to be able to hold her and see her, but also because I knew that society would see her as real because she had been there. And so many times with a lot of the women that I work with that lose their pregnancy before their baby was born, like that's one of their things. Like they feel really unheard because people don't recognize the life of their baby. 
because it wasn't ever here for other people to touch and hold. So, um, you know, that's, that's one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to have this panel today is for people that have never walked this path before to hear from women who have gone through it and hear how, what happened in our stories and how we felt and all of that, but also for mothers who have been down a path like this and haven't felt like they have had the opportunity or the permission to grieve out loud and to share with people in their, um, in their lives and in their communities. So I'm going to open it up for whomever feels compelled that they want to speak right now. But um, I, I would like to know the question that I have. And for Sarah, in, anytime I say book, I would like that to just be translated to you for activities that you have pursued around this. But like, at what point in time did you realize you wanted to do something? You wanted to write a book. You wanted to share outside of just your community and to make a bigger a bigger impact with your thoughts and words. Well, um, I'll say that for me, um, I was the first few weeks we shared it with almost no one. But then after that, I found myself telling you know our friends and family, of course. But I think the thing that most motivated me to start talking really openly and like, I can tell you that nothing stops a conversation with relative strangers like mentioning my abortion. Um, <laughs> really haven't lived till you get there. Um, so one of the things that really motivated me was um, during the 2016 presidential election in one of the debate cycles, um, Donald Trump, then candidate Trump, um, mentioned that, uh, you know, they do abortions up until the point when the baby is born. And it's so terrible. And these terrible women and um, Secretary Clinton had tried to correct him a bit. And I felt like sitting there watching it, like I had talked to friends about it. I had talked to family about it. But I was sitting here thinking, like, I'm sure I know lots of people who know that I lost my son who care about me and have no idea that this is what we went through. Um, and so I got really motivated to start talking about it with people. Um, just like I talk about anything else in my life, um, to talk about like this terrible thing that happened and I'm an everyday person that you know that it happened to. And I think that, um, I've seen in the activism that I've been doing um, with other women, because there's a whole community of women that have such a hard time. And I mean, I'm fortunate that I had the support of my family and the support of most of my friends. Um, but in this whole community of women, so many of them can't talk about it with their family because um, their family would judge them or stop speaking with them forever. Yeah. Um, they feel, and all of us feel like we did the best we could. It was end of life care and having that discussion and saying it out there, honestly, because I can, because I'm safe from the consequences of friends and family and consequences of job stuff. It became really important to me. Um, yeah. as, and as, especially as it's become part of a larger political discussion on the national level and on state levels as New York has gone on to um, change date restrictions mm -hmm. um, for when people can terminate a pregnancy largely to accommodate people in my situation. Right. Um, if I lived in Connecticut, which is where I live now, also high Connecticut, um, 
<laughs> you know, uh, there's actually a, um, there is a date restriction on termination in Connecticut. And I don't know if I would have made it in time if I had lived here. Um, so it became really important for me to start talking about it. And that was what really motivated me. Yeah, you know, it's not something that I talk a lot about. Um, but when we were, I think when I was 20, six, it must've been 26 weeks pregnant because that's when I was hospitalized. Um, my doctor told me that he thought that the only way that we were going to save either baby was for me to terminate Catherine. And, um, the farther we went through the discussion, um, he kind of was like, well, we can't really guarantee that making that decision is going to save the other baby. And I was pretty relieved because I felt like he couldn't guarantee anything. So because he couldn't guarantee anything, I wasn't forced to make a decision. And I said, if you can't guarantee, I'm, I'm not going to make that decision. I just can't. So I am, I am very relieved that I didn't have to make that decision. But in our book, we chose to include one and hers was much later. Hers was 36 weeks when she had to make an end of life decision. And we, we chose to include it because until I was faced with someone saying you may want to consider this decision I for one was of a total different mindset I was like I could never I would never make that choice who would make that choice you know so I will honestly say like I I you know but then I was in the position where I was told I might have to make that choice and everything changed everything mm-hmm. changed for me so I think it is so important that you continue to talk about it and to put the face and the emotion and the name and the child behind this discussion so that people maybe may I mean I don't know I hope that people are starting to understand that it's a bigger discussion than just the the way the political politicians want us to look at it you know um so thank you and I know it's got to be hard to to relive that well for all of us but oh Natasha hi um so for me the decision to talk about my pregnancy losses came pretty early for me. So, like I said before, we were ecstatic. We were pregnant. It was our first pregnancy. We were newly married. We were on top of the world. We were pregnant with twins, which, you know, always feels like a double blessing. You know, mm-hmm. all babies are important, but, you know, being pregnant with twins, we feel really blessed. And when we lost them, I remember spiraling into this place of just embarrassment. And I would, I would even say shame. I mean, what are people going to say? I was just unfaithful talking yeah. about my twins. What are people going to say? What, how am I going to face people? How am I going to go back to work? How am I, how am I going to go back to, you know, church and wherever? And I think for me, I remember sitting down and deciding to write a Facebook post about what happened. And I remember thinking, when you hit send, you need to be strong enough to defend your decision to speak. Mm-hmm. And from that day, I have always spoken about pregnancy loss and grief and, and loss and stuff. I had no idea then what it would become, but, but that was what propelled me to make the decision I, I i had to make the choice of continuing to feel ashamed like i had done something wrong or accepting that this is the situation that i am in and there 
must be somebody else out there yeah. who can relate. There must be somebody else who would understand. Even if I don't understand it myself yet, somebody else might. And I'm really, really happy that I did because I was able to find some amazing people who are talking about pregnancy loss and grief and and women's health issues and all of these things. And I'm really, really happy that I was able to find that kind of community. But it would not have happened if I chose to stay feeling ashamed. And really, it's been five years later and it still hurts me to say that, but that was the feeling I had. And, is it, and I'm, glad you, I'm glad you point that out because I think that's something that a lot of people also don't realize is that many women feel like they did something wrong um, yeah. with the pregnancy losses, especially that their body failed them, that they, you know, somehow. So I, I'm glad that you bring up the topic of shame because yeah. it's a common, common feeling for that. Yeah. Kim, what about you? You stepped away for a long time. What was the final push that you were like, okay, I feel this, it has to happen? <laughs> well, I think, you know, when I became so, uh, you know, I homeschooled my two boys. Um, and when I became so depressed in 2016, I just, I knew I had to do something to get it together so that I could continue to homeschool my boys. And I think by reaching out and getting a coach, um, I think my, when my coach told me I was going to write a book, I mean, my words were, you're absolutely crazy and you've lost your mind. <laughs> but I, you know, I diligently did my homework assignments. And I think what was really the turning point for me is once I realized that this was a group out there that needed a change. Mm -hmm. And this was no longer about me. This was a mission that I, that I was put on. Mm -hmm. So once I could turn it around and take it off of me and realize like, this is now about you. This is about changing the community because, you know, I'm still part of these groups and I watch people join them daily and I watch them leave daily and, you know, really studying men, watching the men join. What really interested me was, and I, I interviewed, God, it's, it was in the thousands for the book, just so I could try to get it right. But, you know, men joining seven, eight, nine, ten years after the loss of their child joining by themselves. You know, so these, these things really started to intrigue me. And I thought, God, you know, I've got to find a solution for these people. So that's, you know, that's what I worked really hard on. And the other thing I think that really gets overlooked that really um, made me decide to do this was siblings. I think it's really important to remember that when a sibling loses a sibling, they also lost the parent they once knew. Mm -hmm. And I really found by interviewing hundreds of siblings of all ages, starting from kids that had no idea what death was to grown adults that had gone through it and realizing that they're really grieving two different things and they need that support. Yeah. So again, once I realized like, wow, these areas really, you know, we're worried about the next school shooting. We're worried about this and that. What about this community that we have so many losses in that nobody even realized we have losses in? Yeah. You know, um, I've had to redo, I'm on media all the time right now. I've had to redo my interviews because they're uncomfortable when they hear about the subject. Right. Um, and you know, you, you tell somebody like I've been really, I, I've got a tally going right now of, um, when I'm flying out to be on media somewhere, the person sitting next to me, they're like, what do you do? I'm like, I wrote a book and they get so excited. And the second I tell them what the book is about, 
90 some percent of people turn their head the other way and they don't want to speak to yeah. me again right and, and then i'm very persistent i say you know what you guys that's why i'm on this mission that is why i'm going to be on tv right now and this is why i'm written up in these magazines is because i will make a difference and it's you know it's not that people don't want to help us they just don't know what to do or say so i think if i can get that out there and let people really understand we can really make a big difference in this community. I agree. And I think one of the, the unique things about the positioning that you're coming from um, beyond the talking about, like there's a lot of moms who blog about the grief and loss, and that's fantastic. The moms need that kind of stuff. But from, from what I've seen, there's not a lot of people that are talking about the other stuff, like how co-workers can help you when you return to work you know what can happen what managers should be doing to facilitate this return those kinds of things so i think that's fantastic but you really um you really nail it with the discussion on the on the children and what's happening with the other children and part of that is i think kind of self-preservation from the moms who are blogging about loss and grief like we're trying to keep our stuff together and trying to keep like kids and clean clothes and all those like to, to like we're not thinking about the beyond that but um i sent a copy of kim's book to a friend of mine whose 11 year old daughter passed away very unexpectedly about a year ago and um her other children have been struggling so hard that she's had to pull one of her daughters out of school because not because the daughter was was struggling but because the school had no ability to handle that issue. And um, I saw that Jen posted on Kim's page the other day, Alexa sent me your book. I've had to pull my daughter out of school, but I took a copy of the book to the principal and was like, this is the kind of stuff you guys need to know. So that's, that's, that's super powerful. And just knowing that this resource can help I mean, trickle down effect to so many, to so many things. I was recently at a grief, um, recently as until last night at a, um, getting certified as a grief recovery specialist. And one of the things we talked about is the economic impact of loss. And, uh, you know, everybody's, everybody follows the money, right? Everybody talks about money, but a billion, a hundred billion dollars a year in loss um, of revenue from people not being able to function at work, uh, people not returning to work, people becoming alcoholics or developing diseases or all kinds of things. So this is not just, it's bigger than us just sitting around talking about the child that we lost and the grief that we suffered. It's massive. So um, I, I love that your book goes into so many different elements that really speak to that. And, you know, we all want people to return to to a life that they can function in. And so many people play an important role in that. You talk about the hairdresser and the bartender all the time that, you know, those are the people that hear your stories when you come in and you're just talking, you know, how amazing would it be if they had tools at their disposal to um, be able to help you in that moment, so. Um, before we go to Lindsay, I just want to remind everybody, I don't, well, maybe not remind you, maybe state, because I don't think I stated it before. If you have questions for any of these women about their books or their activities or anything like that, please feel free to hop in there into the discussion and ask questions. I know they are more than happy to answer them. I can't really tell if any questions are being asked. I don't think there's any comments, but um, please ask questions and don't forget we, for anybody who comments, you'll be entered into a drawing for 
um, one of all four of these, a package of all of four of these books in print, uh, whether you need them for yourself or can share them with your ch child's school or your counselor or um, someone that you know in your life would be amazing. Um, okay, Lindsay, what about you? So I just want to say real quick, I'm really glad, Kim, that you brought up the sibling thing because my my daughter was seven when we lost Joe and she is the one who kept me present through the entire initial process. I mean, children are present and she reminded me every day to be present and, and be with it. And so she was, she actually was one of my biggest teachers through the grieving process. And she was the very first one in our whole family to stand up in public and say, I've got, uh, after Layla was born, my second daughter that we, that she has two siblings. She was, a, she did it before I did. And, you know, it's, it's funny to, it's, I shouldn't say funny. It's, it's interesting to look at how she responds to people asking her that. And then her facial response after she says it, you know, I just, I kind of follow her lead a lot with this whole thing. And to this day, she still talks about her brother. She talks about it with, uh, we lost a, a young boy in our community last year in a ski accident. And she, we went over to their house and we didn't even know them, but somebody brought us over there and she sat down and talked to that sibling. And even though it was a different kind of loss, uh, you know, she, she looked at him and she, she held his hand, didn't even know him. And I'm like in awe with my daughter <laughs> um, every time she does these things. But uh, it, it wasn't talked about enough in her school. And so it's almost like she brought the discussion in. So I'm really glad that you do that work. Um, for me, it, it hit me the moment I was being discharged from the hospital after I, I said hello and goodbye to Joseph. And you know, it, it, I have learned through my healing process, especially healing from PTSD and what I've learned, I talk a lot about medical trauma. And, you know, as you can see, I've gone through a lot of medical trauma with uh, having very difficult pregnancies and, uh, and then what happened to me at 16, going to the ER right away and receiving uh, the wrong kind of treatment and the wrong things were said to me. And uh, first responders, I, I do a lot of work with first responders because our first response our, after we've gone through something, lose somebody, or we go through something traumatic is extremely important in the recovery process. And so when I was being discharged, I had very well, well-intentioned nurses uh, uh, surrounding me, hugging me. And, you know, I, I was in a, I was staring blankly and they told me, they told me things I should do. Just be this just be a mother to Lillian, just, uh, you know, and it was all these things that I should be doing. And I was so overwhelmed in that moment. And it, and it was my husband who kind of pushed them away, came right in front of me. And he said, just be nothing, just be. And that's where, you know, the title of my book came because it hit me in that moment that when someone's grieving, say you lose a grandmother or you, you know, you lose somebody else. They no, I noticed that nobody Nobody really tells you how you should be, but for some reason with pregnancy loss, it's, it's different and it shouldn't be different. And you should just, you should feel all the things that you're feeling. You're grieving just as you would grieve anybody else that you or who you lose that you love. And so it, it really sort of, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I've always been a writer. I didn't know I was going to write a memoir. I didn't know when that was going to start, but I knew right in that moment 
that I, I was going to have to speak up about this. Uh, I just didn't know how. And uh, it continued that way initially, I'd say within the, you know, the first few, few months for me, it was, okay, you need to move on. You should be doing this. You'll have another, uh, all the, all the things were said to me. And I'm like, why can't I just grieve just how you would grieve if you, if you lost somebody you love. So uh, I, I actually had a follower ask me just recently, do you even still grieve for him? And it's been over five years. And so I didn't respond right away. And I shared this with my social media, you know, this whole story. And I didn't, I didn't say anything right away. I didn't um, know how to, res you know, respond. First, I got angry, but I didn't say anything. And then I decided to respond with a question. I asked, I asked this individual, did you, have you lost anybody you loved? And she said, yes, I've lost my grandmother who raised me and my uncle. And I said, okay, and, and you're grieving. And she said, yes. And I said, and when did you lose them? And she said, years ago. And I said, and you still miss them? Yes. And then it dawned on her. And she said, yes, he's your son. Of course you And I said, right. So sometimes when you turn it around in a question, uh, you know, it can help, it can help educate. But, uh, you know, the whole, how you should be grieving, you, you greet, there is no right way. There is no you know, there's, it's, healing's not linear. We talk about this a lot. And no, I know a lot of people blog about that, but it's no different with pregnancy loss. And, uh, you know, that's, that's something I'm pretty loud about today. Yeah. Well, good for all of you for being loud about it. I think there's so many people who just feel like they're not allowed to grieve, um, a pregnancy or even a young infant because of the fact that people ask questions just like that woman asked you. And the moment somebody does something like that to you, it shuts you down. I remember yeah. very clearly with someone making a comment similar to, to that about me, like, don't, don't you think it's time to, to not be sad anymore? And I wanted right. to hit that person upside the head with a shovel. But it gave me it gave me the the signal that society and I just posted about this today um, on the Columbia Moms blog. It gave that that moment signified to me signaled to me <laughs> trouble with my words. I'm a little tired. Signaled to me that society was done. That that I had reached the threshold of when I was allowed to to grieve out loud anymore. And um, that's really really unfortunate. It's really unfortunate because with a grandmother, like you said, we would never go up to somebody and be like, get over it. What is wrong with right. you? Some people might, but you posted about this on your page not too long ago too, Kim, that you actually had a, um, a, a, young, a, a mother, I don't know how age group, but saying that someone, and it, it was some crazy short amount of time, wasn't it? Like a month later that a friend of hers was like, stop this, get over it. I yeah. mean, that's nuts. That's nuts. That's nuts. Anyone who has ever seen a plus sign on a pregnancy stick knows that they have within about a week, if not shorter than that, planned out the next 90 years of that child's life. So, yeah. Okay. Well, we've been, we've been talking for about 45 minutes here and I just, I would like to uh, open up the floor basically to allow you to kind of just express if there's anything in particular, if there's a resource you want to share, if there's a thought you want to share, if there's anything that you want to leave people with, I'd like to give everybody the opportunity to do that. And we'll go backwards this time so that um, 
Sarah doesn't always have to be first. So any, <laughs> any parting words of wisdom, Lindsay? Well, because we're all authors, I'd like to give a writing tip, if that's okay. And sure. it helped me tremendously. So you don't, have, you don't have to write a whole book and publish it or anything like that. that but if you want to, yes. <laughs> Everybody's message is important. But if you just want to start somewhere, and of course, journaling is good and, and all those things. I do the morning, the morning brain dump into my journal every single morning. But not everybody's into that either. If you want to do just one thing, and this is something that a lot of people don't realize with my memoir, before I even contacted Alexa, before I even uh, wrote my first draft, for about a year before uh, I even did that, I wrote my story in fiction. I wrote the whole thing. I didn't write a full manuscript. But I wrote the things that have happened to me with a fictional character and all fictional characters. And the story was the same, but I was able to write through the emotion a lot easier. And so sometimes when you take your story and you give it yourself a new name and then you can even describe how you look differently, it can be a first step to create space between you and what has happened. And so for me, uh, what happened to me at 16 was actually the first thing I wrote down. And I would write down tips like here and there, because you can change when it's fiction, you can change it however you want to change it until you're ready to put your face on that character. And so for some people, and I've done this journal exercise in groups, I've done it in workshops. And a lot of people are surprised by how safe they feel doing that because they're just not ready to put their faith to it or say it out loud or write their story down. So it's a very helpful tool. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to post a, a free challenge that I have for um, writing through grief. If anyone is, is interested in some tips on, on that as well, or you can head over to Lindsay and check out her stuff too. Um, but it's, I, to me, I found writing, I mean, writing is what I turn to and it is one of the best things that I found um, just to release some of the frustration and the pain and the WTF and everything else that was yeah. going on in my world. And I, you know, sitting down and writing with a pen is such more of an emotional experience than typing, which is more of an intellectual experience. So I really encourage you to get a journal when we send and actually I'll put the link to our care packages too. We send through the nonprofit that I formed, we send um, free care packages to grieving mothers and um, we always include a journal because I'm just so, so passionate about putting your feelings someplace. Um, but thank right. you, Lindsay. Thank you very much for all of that. That was a great tip. Kim. Yeah, you know, I was, I, I'm excited that I wrote the book, but I, I also know that with the book that I wrote, because of it being different and unique, that the book would kind of just sit on the shelf that I really needed to step up to the plate and go out there um, because to, to really explain like the research that I had done and to, in order to make a difference in the community. So my takeaway really is, is what I tell people is, is we will never be the same person again, but all of you have an opportunity to play a role on who we will become. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's just really important and if, if I did my job in my book, I tell people that you won't ever ask me what I need because I'm not going to be able to answer you. You'll know if I did my job. Yeah. So really it's a matter of someone coming in and taking over your life 
so that you are allowed to grieve properly. So, you know, that's, that's my takeaway and hope, but I know that I need to keep saying out there and speaking or, uh, you know, it just gets lost. And not that books, grieving books aren't great. They're, they're wonderful resources, but to tackle it from a different aspect, people think, oh, this is another book for the parents, right. which it's not. And I really want people to understand that I'm really trying to make a difference to, to be welcome, for us to be welcomed back into society. Because right. I think that's one of our biggest fears. Yes. Amen. All right, Natasha. Um, you know, I, I recently met a woman who had celiac disease. I had never met someone with this disease before. And it wasn't until I sat down and I talk, spoke to her that I understood what it meant day to day to live with that disorder. You know, you've heard about gluten intolerance and it's this whole part in you. It's easy to brush off. But until you hear from somebody who's been living that life, every day it doesn't it doesn't resonate with you and my parting words to 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 anybody who's listening is if you want people to understand you have to be one of the leading voices that tells them what your life is like day to day you cannot expect people to understand if you're not getting away and if we're you know living in shame yeah. People will only, they will fill in the blanks and then you will have to think like, aren't you over it yet? And why are yeah. you still sad? So yeah. I think even as we grieve, we have the beautiful opportunity to share our grief and help people understand. And I know it seems like a huge job to be grieving and changing the world, but you don't have to stand on a podium and do it. You sit one person down one person at a time and you share your story yeah. you speak up and you talk about what you are feeling and trust me moving on from that conversation with my new friend i i, I get it now i understand what it's like to live with something like celiac disease and i know that many people have said to me i didn't understand that so yeah. That's my challenge to you guys. You know, find one person. You don't have to do a room full of people. You don't have to do it on the internet. Just find one person that you can speak to and share your story with. And hopefully we would have less judgment. I mean, I know Sarah and Alexa spoke about judgment. You know, hopefully we'll have less of those things happening when we take one person at a time and we share our story with them. Yeah. You make some really good points. And the first of that is that perception is reality. And if people feel judged, then that is the reality, whether other people think that they're judging them or not. Um, and the second point is that if you are listening to this um, as we release it as a podcast, or if you're here for the replay or listening live, um, if you've never experienced a loss, then the second part of that challenge, I would say, is reach out to someone that you know who has and ask them to share their story. I can almost guarantee you, I cannot 100% guarantee you because there are some people that truly don't want to relive and talk about it. But most 
women that I have encountered, I'll caveat it like that. Most women that I have encountered want nothing more than to share their story, to talk about their baby and to have their child remembered. And they would love, I would love it if somebody reached out to me that had never talked to me about it and said, you know what? I want to hear more about Catherine. I want to hear more about your experience. I want to know, I want to understand. Like there is, you're not going to hurt this person by making them remember something that they're thinking about all the time. But you are going to show that you are compassionate and want to understand and want to be there for them. So that's the second part of that challenge. But I totally agree. You also have to talk about it. If you want people to ask about it, you also have to be willing to talk about it. Um, and I don't think we made it super clear. We may have made it clear or not. But Natasha's book, if you didn't see me hold it up, is actually a children's book. It's Happy Tears and Rainbow Babies. And it's a beautifully illustrated book. So not only do, do you have the opportunity as an adult to learn from it, but it's a great tool if you have had a rainbow baby and you want to share with your other children about your previous experiences and loss. And let me tell you, the world has been loving this book. She's won a lot of awards. So it's a fantastic book. Um, and while I am plugging the books, all of them are on sale. The eBooks are on sale on Amazon today, especially for October 15th. The, um, the nonfiction adult books are 99 cents and Natasha's because it is a children's book and has all those beautiful um, illustrations is $1.99. Um, but thank you for that reminder of speaking out if we want to be heard. <laughs> Sarah. Um. So I'll just close by saying, um, first of all, thanks to everybody here. I like love to hear your stories. I, um, having been on the side of having an early miscarriage as well, like I just appreciate hearing from all of you. And I think um, all the work that all of you are doing is really important. And for me, the biggest takeaway that I've had since Harry's death has been that when I'm speaking to women who went through the kind of experience that I had, one of the ways that we have, I think most of us have healed is by doing something like what Kim said, to take action and try and make some kind of change about the experience that we had in the world. Um, when I went in to do the termination, I was greeted by protesters screaming in my face and it was already the worst day of my entire life. And it, you know, like being able to say, okay, in Harry's honor, what I want to do is make a concrete plan to figure out how I can make that experience better for other women and other families who are going through it. Um, you know, so I think that finding that way in whatever way that you can, whether it's a write a book, um, that sharing how to make experiences better for families, whether it's talking to children in a children's book about uh, loss and their place in your family and, and the place of the missing child in your family, or Lindsay's memoir talking about the way that trauma informed her entire experience. I think that finding the way to take action is so important and so healing. And I hope that um, everybody can find that in their own small way. Um, somehow because I know how much that's helped me and how much I see that helping women who had um, terminated wanted pregnancies. Um, seeing that heal them has been really inspiring and really like urged me on in what I'm doing as 
you know, I continue, you know, four years later to still like wake up every day in grief. Uh, but taking that action really helps me to focus and, and remember and, and make my child's life meaningful. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's, that's, I think the, the impetus behind, I mean, obviously we all want to heal and help others, but I think a lot of what we do is because it's also healing. So I, for us, um, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to do this and to talk through painful uh, situations, but I'm so proud of all of you and the work that you're doing and the difference that you're making. I know Kimberly has, Kim has been everywhere all over the place, <laughs> spreading the word and talking to people and, and really, um, really making a big difference in this, in this whole idea that not only can we talk about loss, but we can play a very active role in making a difference after loss. And that's, that's so important in, in everything that all of us are doing. So Thank you so much. We will, don't forget everybody, the books are on sale on Amazon today. If you missed the special, um, we are happy to work with you for, if you want to provide, I, I'm sure all of these authors would agree if you have an organization that would like to order in bulk, if you have a special need, if you have something that we can do to help you, um, we are more than happy. You can reach out to us at info at lose the cape.com or at info at cat biggie press, K A T B I G G I E press.com. Or you can reach out to any of these authors individually. I've tagged all of their pages in the comments and we'll tag them in the posts as well. And, um, you know, this is really your opportunity. If you're looking for something to get involved with and this, and this speaks to your heart, there's so much work to be done around loss and healing and, and, you know, the whole nine. So thank you everyone so much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.